Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right. Welcome to Going Off Track. Welcome. Um... Welcome back to my crib. Back at Brad's place, I had a, a bagel. I brought Brad, Brad a Biale. 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 Dude, that was a good Biale. I mean, Bialis are good. Probably nobody, maybe like three people listening to this know what a Biale is. Well, I went to this place, Kosar's, which Brad pointed out last time I was here, which is kind of a famous place. And they were out of Bialis, and like, it'll be 10 minutes. And then I was like... How did they run out? And then I ordered one, and the guy behind me was like, I want 18 Bialis. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is how they run out. <laughs> That's all they used to make. They didn't, I don't think they used to have bagels. Really? Yeah. They had a pretty, I had a bagel, and it was pretty good. And I also was told once that, that there was only like two places that made Bialis. Like really? Bialis are like a New York thing, I think. Gotcha. And there were two places in New York, and now Kosar's may be the only one. Bialis are delicious. If you do come to New York or you live in New York, you should get a Biali. You yeah. can get them at Kosar's. You can get them at some like diners and delis and stuff. But it's like it's like if you kind of cross like an a not even a ba- like an English muffin and maybe a bagel with like some little like kind of onions in the middle. They're so good. Man. How was your bialy today? It was awesome. Yeah, I should have gotten one. It was better one. than I remembered. Should have gotten one. If I'm you get, get a bialy, I think the best way is just to have them cut it in half, toast it, and put butter on it. Great, it's an amazing experience. Simple. It's like, it's a little bit different dough than a, or maybe it's because it's cooked different. I don't know. It's delicious. It's great. Great. I um, recommend to be Ollie. And I want to mention that this is our first uh, podcast at our new space. Pulse. Ah, yeah. Pulse. Pulse. Big, big ups to Pulse. Big ups to Pulse. Pulse Music. Pulse Music. We recorded this with um, Streven Grawalski. Yes. Who's a friend of mine I've been playing in a band with. And he's, he's um, yeah, he's been manning the boards for the last... Everything we've done at Pulse, uh, every podcast from now until further notice has, has been at Pulse Music. And yeah, it's been, they've treated forward. us well. It's a great space if you want to do a podcast. Um, they do a lot of music for film. They have a great live room, a uh, really nice studio. So yeah, check them out online. It's a really good space. West 29th Street, very good location. It is. Um, speaking of locations. Hey. I'm going out of town this, this next week. I know. I'm... Uh... You're going to L.A.? I'm going to L.A. Um, I need to take a trip to L.A. Dude, here's the thing. I <clears throat> wanted to go to L.A., didn't really have a reason, and uh, then it got announced that Racket Club is playing their first show. Um, it's going to be at Resident in downtown L.A. on May 6th. Oh. I know this sounds like like I'm uh, 
like it's an advertisement because it sort of is. But <laughs> at the same time, I am. If anyone knows me, they know I'm obsessed with the Jellison. I'm obsessed with the Racket Club. Span Racket Club is uh, Blair and Bob from the Jellison and Sergi from Napsack right. and Sam. I am. Um, and this guy Ian, who uh, actually is Blair's neighbor, who Blair because I it just interviewed Blair about it. He was like, I was looking for we were looking for a bass player, and he's like, I saw this my neighbor. I was like, Do you know anyone? He's like, I'll do it. He's like, All right. <laughs> and uh, they recorded their first record for Rise. It's coming out later this year. They have a single, Blood on the Moon. They released. It's amazing. I have the record. It's incredible. If you love those bands, and uh, you can check out everything on social media at at RucketClub.com. So I would definitely check them out. I, I listen to this record pretty much every day. I love it. And wow. While I'm on this rant, speaking of uh, speaking of Sergi, uh, Sam, I am uh, who the Goops have toured with. Yeah, three months of touring. We three did months with of those touring. Guys. Um, I saw them last year. They still sound great. Uh, they're gonna be doing some spots in Jersey and Philly in June. Uh, and I saw them last year. They're great. So June 9th, they'll be playing at Garwood, New Jersey, at Crossroads. You can get tickets for that at Ticketfly.com. And June 10th, they will be headlining the Nishamini Creek Brewery Company's five-year anniversary party with a free show on June 10th in Croydon, Pennsylvania. So I don't know where that is, but if you live in Pennsylvania, check it out. If you're living, I don't actually don't know where either of these places are. Croydon, I haven't heard of Croydon or Garwood. I'll but, look it up. But you should go. And uh, they're also going to be touring uh, Europe in July. So check that all out on their Facebook page for all the dates at Sam I Am Fancy. Um, so yeah. Uh, today on the podcast, we have a guy named Josh Bayer. I'm not related to. But sure I, you are. I got a press release. He did the artwork for... We're both big fans of the Cleveland Hardcore Band Integrity, and he did the artwork for a reissue of their record, and I saw it, and I was like... I thought I had written the liner notes. It was like something, something, <laughs> J-O, Bayer, and I was like, oh, because I've done Integrity liner notes before. And I was like, no, it's this artist, and I checked out his stuff. was awesome. And you're like, I didn't do the art, did yeah. I? Yeah, I was like, did I and do did this I and do forget that? about it? <laughs> and I started researching this guy, and he's, uh, he's an artist. He teaches, um, he's a comic book artist. He teaches comic and drawing classes at Third Word, Third Word in Brooklyn, the 92nd Street Y, Educational Alliance, and SVA. And uh, yeah, he started out doing zines and stuff. And since then, he's been in all these exhibitions. He does all these comics. Um, he's done work for TV. He's a super interesting guy, very into music. Um, and uh, yeah, we talked a lot about music and comics and sort of his approach to teaching. And I thought this was like a really interesting episode for a first one of Pulse. So I think that's pretty much it. Let's let's get into, get into it with it? Josh Bear. I wish I was related to this guy. Sadly, I'm not. But we both love integrity. Maybe somewhere back somewhere right yeah you go back you know a couple generations there's got to be a connect yeah i'm gonna look into that what's that app what's that site i don't know we're not gonna plug them though. we're not gonna plug it but yeah there's a site where you can do that oh. it's probably fake cost money yeah it costs too much money i don't right. know i don't know how much it costs but th- th- that should not cost any money <laughs> okay josh bear Josh, thanks so much for coming. Yay! Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Our first time at Pulse Studios. Thank you, Pulse. Thank you. What do you think? You, got, in, you listeners have no idea how nice this place is. Yeah. Uh, we have to apologize to every subsequent guest coming afterwards. Um, you don't have free shoes here, do you? At Pulse? No? <laughs> no? No. No free shoes. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> that train's gone. <laughs> um, but yeah, we. Uh, I got a press release about a year ago that you had done the artwork for this integrity reissue and i thought it our names are so close and i've done liner notes for i did a liner note for the reissue of 
Those Who Fear Tomorrow, I think the 10 or 15, the one Fractor Transmitter put out. And I was like, oh, did I write something for this and forget about it? And it was like, no, Josh Bear. And then I saw the art and it was awesome. And I was like, this guy has like the same name as me and loves integrity. And so I yeah. think I just emailed you out of the blue and I was like, how do we not know each other? Right. I mean, how did that sort of come about, the integrity thing? The part about part about us having the same name, we still don't know how that came about. Right. But the uh, integrity connection, um, what happened was I did a I did uh, some artwork. I did some comics for this anthology, Henry and Gwen Forever, which was about a yeah. It's like I've a ro- read it. It's amazing. That's you. Uh, yeah, I have like if you have the big thick collection, I have like twenty pages in there. Okay. Um, I remember the initial one. Are you familiar with Henry and Glenn Forever? Yeah, Josh sent it to me. Oh, God, so, oh, so you have like the little one, I have right? the little one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they kept on doing it because oh that, that first one sold 50,000 copies. That's so great. And uh, Tom Neely, who's the, you know, was his brain, mm-hmm. brainchild or him in a collective that he was in. So he, uh, I begged him to get into it. And I actually, I think I pitched an idea to get into Henry and Glenn Forever. And um, I did two stories. I did a second one. And for the anthology and Dwid, I put, I featured Dwid in it. Really? Yeah, I didn't tell you this. No. So I put Dwid in. It. I had a story. This was really okay. So if you're a hardcore integrity fan, this is really interesting. So <laughs> in the my comic, it's totally our audience. Seriously, yes. actually, <laughs> in, my, in the comic, Danzig is having a he goes into like a dream state and dwid comes and he's trying to find it's in the nine it's in the 80s and he's trying to find iconography for sam hain and dwid comes to him from the future and says it's okay to steal the sam hain iconography from the cover of, of what's it for it's a comic book not quasar um you know this right that the sam hain skull is taken from a comic book it's from I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. It's a... Not uh, the Marvel Quasar, but... It's not Quasar. It's a very similar. I can't think of it. It'll come to me in 10 minutes, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's like an obscure comic about... Crystar. Crystar, the Crystal Warrior. Crystar, the Crystal Warrior? Hell yeah. No fucking way. Nolan. <laughs> I think the artist is Kevin Nolan, maybe. And then there's a cover of like Crystar number 6 or 12 or something. There's not many of them because I got them all. Crystal's on the cover holding a sword yeah. aloft. And he's on top of the Danzig skull, but it's 1985 or 86. So Danzig or 83, I don't know. Yeah, it's 80, probably 84. Christar, because there were toys. It was a toy. So Danzig <sighs> took the the twisted, whip car snarling skull of the horns. It's from a Christar comic. It's just random. He just took it and appropriated it. So people have made fun of him for that, like they do everything with him, and and it's like you know, I'm like, that's what you do as an artist, you steal. That's cool. So he. uh Here's the crazy, crazy part is that Integrity also borrowed the Integrity Skull from a comic book. Really? Yeah. This is already my favorite podcast we've ever done. <laughs> oh my thing. gosh. So Blood by J.M. Demetheus and art by Kent Williams. It came out in 87 and uh, it is, it's a painted comic. Um, it's very interesting. I don't mean to go off on a tangent about it. There, I was looking. I bought it when I was in high school, and years later, like in the two thousands, I saw it. And there's the integrity skull on one page, like collaged into an image. So in my com, I'm like, and to me that was like such a weird revelation. I think I googled it, and nobody else knew about it. So when I had a chance to write for Henry and Glenn, I'm like, here's two rock stars who I fucking love, and I I can say fuck right, yes, and um, I'm going to have 
Dwid come like Danzig's like soul, uh, like spirit guide and say, I'm from the future and you go and take the Chris Star logo and make it your own because that's what we're supposed to do. And look at this. And he pulls his shirt and he has the integrity skull. He's like, I took this from a comic. You take it. I'll take it in the f- 10 years from now. So that was a comic. And Danzig, um, I'm sorry, not Danzig, Dwid wrote me on Facebook and had seen the comic. And he was like, hey, I'm, you know, this is my real name, but I'm actually Dwid. And like, hey, I saw your comic. Ha ha. Cool. You know, he's super, I mean, that guy has a good sense of humor. He's yeah, yeah. like was unfazed by it. And, um, I, uh, we became friends and then eventually he started like pitching me the idea or I pitched him the idea of me doing work for him. And I ended up doing work for my all time favorite album of all time. Was um, Systems Overload? Uh, no, or it was Humanity is um, the Devil. Is the devil. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I was reading some, um, I've never been able to pronounce his name right, but J.M., uh, Demetheus, I don't Demetheus. know. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah, because he did Justice League International. He did a whole bunch of shit with yep. Keith Giffen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was reading him the other night. Actually, I love his work. Ah, it's like all but, signs point to the show. I, I was just listening to a podcast with him, and he mentioned Blood and some other comic he did, and he was kind of like went through one of those arcs as an artist where he was doing personal work, and then he did the Justice League books. Yeah. And he said he kept on trying to kind of get off of it, get out of the book, Justice League, because he was like, I want to do this deep personal work from my soul. It's kind of interesting hearing him talk about it, because huh. he's probably like in his 30s or 40s, and he was like, kind of, Justice League kind of represented a crossroads for him. Like, am I going to be an auteur, I'm not an auteur, but am I going to be somebody who does personal intense work, which pushes the envelope and gets me respect? Or am I going to do this book, which is wildly successful? And it's, it's like that whole Scott McCloud thing where it shows like, you're going to be this kind of guy or this kind of guy. Yeah. I'm understanding comics. Like you want to be this guy. Yeah. Be guy who makes mouse or you want to be, which is fine. Or do you want to be the person who's the color separator, which is also awesome. Right. Right. Wow. It's fascinating. I had never thought about that. Cause that international is like a very, to me, it's a very personal book because it's the first superhero book I remember reading as a kid that was so damn funny mm-hmm. and very poignant. It was like um, like an episode of MASH or Scrubs where it's like it's really funny, but it also had something else going on. Mm-hmm. And that's, wow. Yeah. Were you a fan of that kind of stuff? Like, um, what, what got you into comics and art? Well, during that period that you're talking about, I, don't, I wasn't as much of a DC guy. Uh, I admired that comic, yeah. especially Kevin McGuire's art, if I'm saying mm-hmm. his name right. At uh, that time, that was like 86. I loved, uh, I loved, um, well, I want to say I loved Mark Greenwald's DP7 and Captain America, though honestly, I skimmed those and then I really read, no, no, actually I did. I was 16 years old and I loved Greenwald's Captain America. And then years later, I went back and reread them and really loved them as far as like that era. With the new school. universe DP7? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I do. I got them, man. Yeah. There's star brand and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Kickers Incorporated is pretty stupid, but I still got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love DP7 was good. But when you realized that it was like, it's the new universe, it's the X-Men. But it's, was that guy in it? Scuzz, the one who would spit and throw. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in the first issue of Raw Power that I did, that you have, um, I have, oh, I have a, another issue. Oh. I, th- I don't think I brought it. I'm sold out of Raw Power 1, but I retold, like, issue, like, speaking of people appropriating, like, from, like, Danzig did with Chris Star. I d- I've done a lot of adaptations, like, just retelling somebody else's comic as, like, a, 
as like an exercise. So I told, I did like a 16 page sequence in one of my comics where I retold that issue where Scuzz, um, I think he burns a bunch of bikers alive oh, yeah. and he's going to kill himself at the end, but his power burns out. And at the end of it, he's at the top. He's riding a motorcycle naked. Oh, yeah. And he's just like at the top of it. He's like, I can't go. My scuzz power is just burning out. And at the end of it, he's just like, I'm so disgusting and stupid. I guess I'm stuck here. It's so good. That's that's like the only image of scuzz I have in my head. (laughs) This character that they came up with was, wasn't Claremont, was it? No. Who wrote that? Oh, that one, Grunwald. Grunwald, he did write it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. God, forgive me. Um, the, uh, hmm. It was his character. He was like the grunge character. So his power was his skin just and spit like oozed. So his clothes would get holes in them because of his power. He's always making them rot. Yeah. yeah he was, and he learned he could spit in his hand and form like little scuzz balls and throw them at people. <laughs> and burn They blow up. up. Yeah. <laughs> before, before grunge, though. Yeah, before grunge. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah. God. And he was, it was drawn. By Paul Ryan, not the politician, who died last year. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. Really sterile kind of style. Mm-hmm. Very, like, almost like a Jack Chick comic. Mm-hmm. And he drew Scuzz. Scuzz was supposed to be 16, but he mm-hmm. looked like he was, like, 25. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of reminded me of, um, I was a big Art Adams fan. I liked, like, Longshot and that kind of stuff where you're reading it and you're like, I like the art. Great mullet. I don't understand what's happening. Right. But I really enjoy this. That was Ann Nossetti. I never read that, but I mm-hmm. love her writing. She did Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that so was that a pretty was that like a challenging comic? Yeah, I remember as a kid. Yeah, because he was it was like this netherworld kind of character fighting. I mean, the the storyline was this creepy guy Mojo with crazy legs, and it was kind of a gladiatorial Spartus, Spartacus kind of thing. And then you had Longshot, whose name was Longshot, and he had this blonde mullet, the worst, straight like the the worst, like yeah, whatever you can envision the eighties of this is the look. This embodied everything. But he threw like blades at everybody, and that was his thing. Yeah, I couldn't tell you anything else, but I know I have all the yeah, issues yeah, yeah. floating around back there. But did he have a girlfriend? He did. I couldn't tell you her name. And then I know, but they eventually married. And then years later, I got back into X Force. I stopped collecting New Mutants. I'm pretty sure two issues before Cable and Deadpool, because that's how smart I was. Right. The, the stories were going nowhere, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm right, out. Right, I'm right. finished. And then years later, I'm like, oh, that? Oh, fuck me. But then there was this character, Shatterstar. That was apparently Longshot's kid, and he was an X-Force, and who gives a flying fuck? Right. Where are you from? <laughs> you're not, unlike me and Dwayne, you're not from Cleveland? No. I don't know if Dwayne's from Cleveland. But. <laughs> no. I, he is from Cleveland. He is. I didn't know you were from Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up seeing, like, all, you know, One Life Crew, Integrity, Essential, all the Ringworm, all the Essentials. Okay. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Ohio. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. So, you know, not Cleveland, I was in Columbus. Okay. So, not far. Uh, yeah, not far. And, um, I was born in Buffalo, so my whole family was on the East Coast, and then we were, we went to, my dad worked at the university, and I grew up in Columbus, then I moved to Los Angeles, and then I moved to New York 11 years ago. Okay. Did you go to a lot of, like punk and hardcore shows growing up in ohio yeah yeah yeah. um my favorite band was uh speaking of the whole like michigan ohio connection was laughing hyenas okay which is john brandon from negative approach and now he's an easy action and negative approach again that was my absolutely favorite band um what about you well Um, i loved integrity growing up but i kind of caught them on like the tail end like 
I graduated high school in like 98 and I felt like around like 96, 97, they sort of were winding down or like, remember they did that Integrity 2000 record? Oh yeah. And like the In Cold Blood. So I felt like I caught like the kind of the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I always loved them. Yeah. I like the stuff without the Melnick brothers. I like the stuff with the Melnick yeah. brothers that, um, I, I gotta say, I, I watched, there's like an hour and a half, hour, 15 minute long reunion foot show with the Melnick brothers. Okay. That was like last year, I think, or something. Maybe that two, Baltimore thing. 15. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really watchable. Yeah. These guys like have a good chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed Aaron maybe for Vice. I interviewed him for something recently and we had never met. Oh, I think when they, you know, they did that reissue of systems with the Aaron Melnick mix. Do you remember this? This was about maybe two years ago. It was called like, yeah. Cause it, it's like I got like a beige cover. Yeah. They, it was, they called him like, cause they always called him like a double or, and so he remixed systems and they released it. I think that label crime scene or whatever. Um, right. But um, they, they did it. It basically just the guitars are louder. Sounds awesome. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I got into them in 94 when Systems Overload was coming out. I remember buying it in Los Angeles on red, plastic red cassette. Yeah, and, yeah. And kind of taking a chance on it, you know, like you would back then. And uh, just being in the grocery store, and I'd listen to it like a bunch of times. And I was still just trying to get my money's worth and just it, just clicking with me. Yeah, and then I yeah I bought everything they bought everything that they had. I drew. I remember driving up to Corona, California, to go see them live. It was a big deal. I think it was like a hour and a half drive. I interviewed them then back then too. I don't know if Dwid remembers. Oh wow! Yeah, for what? Uh, Starfucker Zine. I I used to work at this record store in Menor, Ohio, called Ultrasound, and Dwid was really good friends with the owner, and Dwid was always like would come in where he was like went to his favorite you know he's really into don ho and like hawaiian shirts like yeah. if you got these old issues of the blood book it'd be like we will trade any of these records for like hawaiian <laughs> shirts or don ho merch yeah and like i think people thought it was like an ironic joke and it wasn't and he would just like roll in in like this hawaiian shirt and i would be like i was like 15 or no i was doing my senior project of high school i was like 18 and i was like oh my god and i would get him to like sign my records and he would just write stuff like release the fiend and like you know also, Hawaiian shirts are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Their next record sounds really like it's going to be really cool. Yeah. He'd have like a concept album coming out about um, about being displaced in time. And if every song you visit a different era and it's connected to murders and the occult. And okay. you can take a journey like around the globe and through different like atrocities. And uh, it's a high concept album. And... It's very, um, it's like a thesis. It's like a college thesis. Really? In hardcore form. And so he um, he let me listen to one of the songs and it was awesome. And he told me the theme and told me the title. He, we had such interesting conversations. I told him I wanted to turn them into a comic, like the Dwid, the Dwid talks. And he was like, yeah, 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 yeah go for it. <clears throat> He's like, and I says, is there anything that's off the record? And I think he said, I don't want to shit talk this person or that person that's not very cleveland of him and he um <laughs> he was you know I'd, i and he's so careful with the words he chooses yeah he might have if he said that he had a very specific reason right it's a very specific way that he wanted to say it 
like that he didn't want something to be said. He's like, I don't want to hurt so-and-so or something like that. Yeah. It, um, but for the most part, he was like, yeah, take it, run with it. I just got kind of overwhelmed. I was like, oh, how should I do this comic? I guess I could have us taking a walk around, like sticking a walk and like throwing rocks in ponds and talking. Mm-hmm. But I was fascinated with our talk. I don't know if anybody else would be. Um, he's like a really forthcoming guy. I was thinking today on the way here about how over the years, as like somebody who loves art and loves punk, how I've met like almost everybody that I wanted to meet. Who else? Um, I've met Pettibone. Oh, wow. Uh, He's like, getting an exhibit somewhere. Yeah, just it just opened. Okay. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it I heard, yet. I've seen some friends posted photos of Where it on it? Instagram. It's New, new Museum. Yeah. On, ba- oh, yeah? on Bowery. And yeah. it's, it's taken over like three stores, stories. Wow. Really? And with yeah. him, I met him before the internet. I just kind of tracked him down in L.A. Yeah. And we became friends. I met Gary Panzer because um, he teaches at SVA. So okay. I got access to him the way anybody can. Um, Dwid. You know, I mean, there's a few other heroes I haven't met, but it's kind of cool. It's like I've met, um, I've met enough people to be satisfied with. Yeah, yeah. Who's the one like you wish you could meet if it could be like? I don't know anymore. I mean, yeah. used to be Rollins because I loved Rollins, and I just was watching his new podcast on the Joe Rogan show. I just listened to I listened to that episode. It was good, right? Yeah, it was really good. It's good. Yeah, his actually his. His Marin episode was really interesting too. I mean, he's it's oh, I did like that, both yeah. those interviews. He tells that story about his roommate, yeah, and like that whole I crazy saw, thing. I, I saw him do spoken word, and it was him, Mark Marin, and Janine Garofalo. Oh wow! And it was before the Gramercy was the Gramercy, and it was just like folding chairs in this yeah. torn down theater. Oh, was, you saw it live? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, because he came by one of the shows we did, and um, really way back when. Okay, I, I think to that's him. before my time. It was it was the most harrowing experience I've had with any kind of guest talking to you because I'm from Northern Virginia and um, I have peripheral friends who know Ian and Fugazi and all that, that whole world, Black Hat, the whole thing, just everybody. It's one of those dumb ancestral things. And um, and I'm by no means cool in the slightest. Just random. You seem cool. Um... No, you're saying that because you are a cool punk comic guy. Um, you're just, which is you're what saying I that because Steven's wearing a Motion City soundtrack hoodie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Represent. <laughs> um, we he Rollins was there getting ready to go on, and um, my boss walked in to prep him for the interview and came out and went, whatever I said was the wrong thing. Oh, he shit. started rubbing his forehead in there. You go in and calm down Henry Rollins, which is a statement <laughs> you don't want to hear in your life. Yeah. And so I went in and like was like, hey. Annandale, you know, um, boy, those Georgetown day guys were fuckers, weren't they? And he was like, they were never nice to me. And oh, I was like, fuck. oh, cool. Wow. We started talking about whatever. And it turned out a band he loved, a friend of mine was in and <laughs> this whole thing. And I walked out being like, don't ever do that again. That is not cool. And then he was fine. And then we talked like beyond it just come out by Dennis for Jr. So we talked about that. And I was like, I've talked to them. We did an interview with Nice. But yeah, he's... I wonder what the other guy said. What Did you ever find out what your engineer, what the other guy had said? No, I hadn't. I, yeah. I, I think what he did was he was a fan and he kind mm. of, he kind of geeked the wrong way. Dude, yeah, I know I've done that too. Yeah. I went to go see Rollins doing a signing with Rollins Band Mach 2 and because uh, he, he got rid of everybody in Rollins Band um, and, well, Andrew was gone by that point, but Chris... 
Chris Haskett and Sim Kane and Melvin, the bassist, and he replaced them with a band who was called uh, Mother Superior. And then they, he kind of did a revamped Rollins band that sounded like Thin Lizzy and is great and nobody's ever heard. It's really good. He did, um, they did, they, they hustled so much. They kind of did four albums worth of materials because they did, materials, they did, um, Get Some Go Again, which is pretty good, and Nice, which is also pretty good. It's a lot of good tracks on it. But then they did like a bunch of albums, songs they left off of those albums, which are killer. So he has an album called Yellow Blues, and an album called Nicer Shade of Red, and then they also did a live album called Clockwork Orange Stage. And in interviews, he's like, I'm, I was done with music one day because I evolved. And, not, not that I evolved and there's anything wrong with music. He's like, I just ate the feast, like he said in the interview, and I came to the end of it. But I kind of think that he his heart was a little bit broken, that nobody gave a shit about their al- those albums. I just played this one song called um, Frozen Man for my friend in New Orleans. And I'm like, check out the song. What do you think? And she has great taste in music. And she's like, I love this. And it's weird. It's really weird. It's really good. Um, what years are we talking about? 2002. And uh, it's like, you just can't gauge like what... Not to like like I, I heard this quote recently. I was watching a um, a roast, and Tom Arnold was on there, and everybody's giving him shit for being Tom Arnold. And they're like, oh, "Tom Arnold, you suck, and you're not funny." He goes, "No, I'm not. But I'm the most famous person on here." But that's how it works. He goes, "The more fame, the less funny you are." He's like, "If Carrot Top walked in here, he'd be funny. He'd be more famous than anybody else here." And I have some of the funniest people in the world. That's how those albums are. That's not a mark of quality that nobody knows who they are. They're actually really fucking good. So anyways, I went to go see him do a signing when he's promoting Rollins Band Mach 2. And I had a show up. It might have been 99 or 2000. And I had a card for a painting show I had up and I wanted to give it to him. And I'd actually met him years before. Did the same thing. I gave him a flyer like 89. I had it up when he came through Columbus. And he was really nice. He was just like, your art looks cool. I'll come to this. And he didn't come, but he said he would. And it was, he was super sincere and nice. And, um, I told, and I told him I had a gushing moment. I was like, I love your, I got your albums are like the only thing I care about or something like that. And he, uh, was really sweet. And he, um, then I think he's changed a lot over the years. And he basically his relationship with fans and the outside world has changed. He's not, I've heard, I've read shit where he said, He's described all these possible interactions with fans, and he's like, there's no good outcome. He's like, lists all these, he listed like 80 different things that people have done coming up to him and saying, I just want you to know I've listened to your shit and I've passed it on to my children. And he's just like, I just want to be left alone. So I went to the signing and I gave him the card. And first of all, I was staring at him the wrong way. Like, for, I was coming into Tower, and this was like, 18 years ago and the light was cat was above him and i could see how thin is i'm sorry if he's hearing this i don't need to shit on him but there's not his hair was really thin like mine is now and i was just kind of stunned for a minute because i was like oh ronald's is getting old and i was like you know it goes fast and uh i remember i was just looking at him and i think he just caught my eye and he thought that i was just looking at him like a weird in a weird confrontational way and he just pinned me with his eyes started glaring at me until i kind of cast my eyes away and when i went up to him i gave him the card and he was still pissed off 
And so it's like with your manager. I don't know what that guy oh, said yeah. that was wrong. It was all really benign, mm-hmm. but he took it the wrong way. And I was like, hey, man, congratulations on the new album. I wanted to give you this card. I thought that he took my flyer in 89 and it was like scrawled, you know, it was scrawled on a photocopy and he was like, this is so good. And I gave him this really nice card. It was like a reproduction of a painting that, you know, I was, it was pretty legit. (laughs) And he took it and I kind of was like, thanks and threw it underneath his folding chair. And then the guys, and the guys in the band were like, you got any more of the cards? Oh, you know, they're just trying to be nice to me. They're not going to come to the show either, but they were really cool. And they were, and he was like really brusque. So he'd be the top of the list. I'd love to have a good conversation yeah. with that guy. I don't think it's going to happen. Though. Well, he has those two hundred thousand dollars speakers. What did you listen to that on that Rogan one? They talk about what he does every night, and yeah. he's like, "Yeah, you know what I'm talking about." He was like, <laughs> "He's like, I just listen to records every night. Like last night, I listened to five records and like seven seven inches." And he's like, "And I play them on my turntable, and I have these speakers, and they're called something insane, and they're like." bigger than me and they're like 200 grand and he's like i know i just sit in my living room and listen to records that's what i do yeah yeah yikes yikes yeah did he i i did i got like halfway through the podcast and then i'm going to listen to the rest of it this, it's this good week. it's good oh, it's interesting i learned that. a lot about him who are your um like when did you start drawing oh like i always drew just you don't remember not drawing that's a, yeah that's a good way to put it yeah um, I had like, I mean, I've had ups and downs with getting my whole shtick together with doing mm-hmm. comics. Uh, I was, I like had a long period in my twenties. I'm like 46 now. I had a long period in my twenties where I was doing paintings and that I, I kind of, I kind of forgot how to do comics as I learned a different type of making art. Uh, like I did comics for a while when I got out of high school and I was really into it. My parents didn't want me to do comics. So like when I was in fifth grade, I got penalized for getting bad grades and that my parents told me I couldn't do comics anymore. And they never really lifted it because I like, <laughs> never got my grades up really. I was always screwing up in school. So by the time I was like 16, I was like, I think maybe I can, you know, do comics without getting a shoe thrown at me. So I started doing them again and I had all this anger because I love, you know, they, my, they just succeeded in making me more obsessed with them. So I had a period from when I was 16, 17, 18, where I'm like, I'm going to do these comics that I've wanted to do all this time. And I started doing, you know, all kinds of weirdo comics, um, and I was, you know, I saw underground, I saw Art Spiegelman and I saw Mark yeah. Bayer and who did Agony and Amy and Jordan. And he was, that was, those are very out there comics. And something got into my head when I went to art school. I went to art school for a year when I was 18. And I said to myself, I'm not going to lose doing comics no matter what they say. And I'm going to have teachers who look down on comics. And somehow it became like, don't think of the color orange, like the way more I thought about it, it ended up happening. So I stopped doing comics for some reason when I was like, I started, it was like 19, 20 and I kept on trying to do comics. Like I successfully done eight pagers and 10 pagers, uh, all the time I got out of high school, but then somehow I lost it and I kept on doing comics and saying, it's not really worth it. And then just getting really ADD on the whole thing. So flash forward, I had a bunch of different, you know, kind of struggled to get back on track. I started painting a lot. I did a lot of paintings. I lived in like a 
guest house for like 10 years in LA, just kind of sleeping on top of like huge stacks of drawings, trying Where to be about in LA in, uh, close to Marina del Rey. Okay. Yeah. And I, um, far enough away. What's that? Far enough away from everything, but still accessible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was right, right around the corner from Venice high yep. school mm-hmm. and, um, on Washington Boulevard. And, um, so I was like almost sleeping on these like big, big scrolly drawings and, uh, trying to be like Pettibone and just like I'm going to do big single images. Mm-hmm. But I kept on thinking about comics. And uh, as I got closer to being 30, that's where you start having those moments where you start asking yourself what you really want to do. And um, I was actually I used to go to movies by myself all the time in LA. And I was at this movie called Without Limits about Prefontaine, the runner. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It was directed by somebody. There were two Prefontaine movies. There's one with Jared Leto, right? It's not that one. Yeah. So I'm freaking shorter. No, no. Uh, Didn't he do one? Did you no, it's Billy Crudup. Yes. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I get them confused all the time. It was directed by. It's directed by. Uh, the guy who did Hoop Dreams? No, it was directed by a guy who did Grace Stroke, Legend of Tarzan, but that's not notable. He was. He had written something really important. You mean the Christopher Lambert, Grace Drug Legend of Tar- yeah. Tarzan? Yeah, I think this guy directed that. The British was- guy formerly known for being Highlander, a Scottish Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> but he was French. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have enough like it didn't have like enough Tarzan action in it. Yeah. And that was like eighty six and then this guy Bo came Derek back. In that? What's that? Bo Derek in that one, Tarzan? Grace Drug. A lot of boobs in that. There was well, a Marvel comic version of it. Well, wasn't Bo Derek and in- I'm not sure. But it was like twelve years later, and he was doing another movie. He wrote something. He wrote, might have written Chinatown. This guy. He's written something really important, hmm. and he directed this movie. And there's this. Basically, the movie is about Billy Crudup as Prefontaine having a coach who's trying to sit on him and get him to be a more powerful runner. And he doesn't know he's going to die, of course. And there's a scene in the movie where he's like. Uh, they keep on getting me, trying to get me to strategize, and they keep on telling me like not to go full out. He's like to pace myself and then burst ahead at the end. And he's like, that's not running. He's like, you. He's like, I need to run my heart out every inch of that race, or else it's bullshit and it's a lie. And he's like, it went against it. And I'm watching this movie, and the weird thing is, it was actually. By myself in the theater, there was like one other person. The like ten o'clock show at the Promenade in L.A., and I had this moment. I used to love movies, and going to them by myself was like you know it was like a form of like a place where I cleared my thoughts. And I was watching this movie, and I'm like, why is this getting to me so much? And I'm like, what is it in me that I want to go full out on? And I was 29 years old or whatever it was, and I was like sitting there and i'm like i don't want to be this person who's not doing shit and it was about comics i was like i got out of the movie and i'm like well that's the thing i want to do i'm doing paintings which is fine but i really want to do comics so uh i went but i couldn't figure out how to get back on them comics you keep on think you think it's just like if you believe in yourself you'll do it Mm -hmm. and it's not that simple um for some people they figure it out on their own i needed to go back to school so that started me back collecting credits. I went to community college and got credits, and then I got enrolled back in school, and then I moved to New York, and I went to SVA. And my brother, who's um, Sam Bear, who's doing all-time comics with me, he 
paid for my school. He's a saint. And he, um, my brother, my brother's like, he's like a director in Hollywood. So he, um, you know, he, he is made it. it is he like a music video? Yeah, okay. he did. Okay. Gotcha. He's like real famous. He did like the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. Right, right. And, and like, um. He did, and, he did, um, My Kim. He did My Chemical Romance? Yeah, he did, uh, the one where they're all on fire that he almost killed everybody. What's what? Oh, one? was that, that was from a movie. Wasn't it's one, it? This one where like Bob was like burned and yeah, I think that was for holy shit some big movie. Your brother's insane. My yeah. brother did something where everybody almost died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like if you look at if you look at look at the video for which one? Uh, it's the that's the last song on. on was my it a Black Queen parade. cover or no? No, I mean that. Well, <laughs> I wasn't making a joke. No, <laughs> it is kind of weird. We both have like one kind last. of recognizable siblings too. Yeah, we're getting a lot of a lot of uh, parallels here. Josh. Yeah, hold on. You know, yeah, I wanted on? to ask. I was thinking about when we're building up to this, Black if like Black. we would be have a lot. Have you like had people basically like trying to get like yes. your yeah yeah yes oh, the creepiest one, which is probably one you don't get, is like, hey, I want to date your sister. Can you like send this to her? And it's like, dude, are you serious? Right, <laughs> like definitely not. That that's not too uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. He did well, the Black Parade, but yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people because I'm probably like you, like I'm I'm very accessible. Like it's you just what's Jonah Bear's email? So I feel like it's really easy to track me down, and people are like, yeah, "This is like one step away." Famous last words. That's one we were all on fire. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> there you I, didn't go. I don't think I told anybody the whole time I was in New York for ten years. Really? Because yeah, I got a belly full of it in Los Angeles. Yeah, I remember. Sure. I remember one time having being on a set. And somebody was telling me about, it was like Burning Man, but it wasn't. And it sounded really good. I mean, I, I loved acid. So I was like, I uh, was I wanted to, uh, this guy would go to like a Burning Man-like thing. And it was like 96, so I hadn't heard a lot about it. And I was like, oh man, that sounds really cool. Next time you go, why don't you like call me? He's like describing it, like people doing this weird thing in the desert. And the guy called me and was like, I'll, I'll do that. He's like, we're going to like, going up to this thing in the desert he's like and you can come but i want you to guarantee me you'll get me some work with your brother he was like i'd met him on my brother's sets and i'm like that's really that's really uncomfortable yeah i'm like wow i thought we were you know i I thought we were gonna be friends (laughs) i thought like um that sucks uh, yeah i certainly didn't do that for him Um, and i had plenty of those interactions i'm sure and i would I said one question because I would it would drive me crazy if I went on a podcast mood just asking me stuff about my sister. But mm. for you, I mean, no, that's okay. What was it when when that smells like Teen Spirit video came out? Was it was your brother like I directed a video for this band or was it like a like because today I guess was would have been Kirk Cobain's fiftieth birthday? Yeah, so I was, he's been on my mind today, and so it's weird you mentioned that because Sam knew that he had done that he had done something that was going to give him a lot of opportunities and. um you know, he's still the same person, and there's a weird. Um, th- I think there's some sort of um, what's that phrase? Um, I think there's um, probably like a, I can't think of the right phrase, but like there's a lack of sync. Like he knows that he's actually done something which is like really like everybody is seeing it all. Like millions and millions of eyes are on it. And uh, at the same time, he's still like just uh, a guy, you know, right, like, right, right. lives in an apartment and drives a car. But um, things started moving pretty quickly. But it isn't like everything fell into his lap immediately after that. Like the videos he did, 
he didn't go from doing like Nirvana to doing who else was really huge in '92. Um, Green Day or no, that, that was way before that. Was that. Way before that, yeah. He, no, Green Day was '94. Yeah, '94. He, yeah. he got like like right after Smells Like Teen Spirit. He got like a bunch of jobs directing like a bunch of bands who like Pill and okay. like the Ramones and like bands who um, ha- like their companies were kind of like. We own the contract, you know, we have contract with these guys. Let's finally the time for their time has come, but Pill wasn't doing their best work. Pill right. had just done the happy album, I think, and maybe one after it. And it isn't like uh it was eighty six or something when they, you know. And um he uh, had to struggle, I think, to really get on top. Like yeah. he had an interesting thing happen where uh actually like after Kurt died, um Courtney Love called him. And he had been, you know, doing okay, like, jobs, but, like, not, like, every, like, he wasn't getting number one bands, like, coming to him. And Hole was, became such a big number one band, and Courtney wanted to have, like, that kind of continuity from Nirvana to him. And after that, he, like, really took the ball and ran with it. So he, like, went from one, like, really high-level band to another. That's what I... And I saw all that happen in front of me because he moved me out to L.A. He was, like... I was, like, living in Ohio and kind of... I had dropped out of school. I was, like, living in an apartment um, and, like, working, like, really weird jobs. I, you know, just, like, nowhere, like, um, jobs. I worked as, like, a phone psychic for a while and hold I, up, hold up. Yeah, that's a, there's a lot of stories from that i was living with i, have, I was trying to they have a phone to save money the last winter i was there i tried to see if i could make it a winter without heat and that was really dumb and um my heating bill i had six hundred dollars to the heating company and i just decided not to pay it i think i'd read an interview with like a punk band where they're like we lived in a freezing squat for a winter i was like oh, i'll do that and that was uh and he was like, you know, I see you going nowhere. And he's like, why don't you come out and like stay with me in L.A.? Which I don't even think I understood at the time how few how few brothers would have done that for somebody. That is really huge. Yeah. yeah. Back to the psychic thing. So um, <laughs> how does one... Do you know what Steven's going to ask? No. Oh, yeah. No. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that's a good one. Nah. <laughs> Sorry. But how really did... Like, how did... Was... was was it an ad you saw yeah, in a magazine? No. <laughs> I was in a, uh, I used to eat, another thing I did to save money is I would eat at the Krishna Temple in Columbus. You are not the first person on this podcast. A lot of guests podcast. on this podcast, I feel like no, a lot of like the old like New York hardcore guys, like the Gorilla Biscuit, Tutu Today, all those guys all went. Where am I going to find free vegan food? Yeah. It was so good. The one in Columbus was so good. And I under, like the one in the LA was was disgusting and the food wasn't free it was real the one in columbus they actually made really good food so i just you just defined los angeles (laughs) the place that was supposed to have free food for people who need it it was bad and cost money yeah it cost money (laughs) they had like a really shitty um i don't think it was all you can eat they had like a salad bar layout it was pretty cheap but it was gross it was like really greasy and the christian and Whatever. So the Christian <laughs> Temple in Columbus, I would go there and they, um, I was there one night and there were these two girls who were either devotees or they were kind of half in, half out. And they told me they were interested in the, the religion, but were kind of like 
practitioners like who lived in an apartment somewhere. I don't know. And they told me they live, I told them I needed a job and they go, well, we work at this psychic place. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting, but I don't know how to be a psychic. And I mean, I don't know how to, uh, I wouldn't know how to do that. And they go, you don't know, you don't need to know anything. I go, that doesn't make sense. And they go, no, you can, if you don't have any ability, you can um, do the runes or you can throw something, you can throw uh, there's oh. things you, you, yeah, you can throw shit or you can do tarot cards. And I'm like, well, I've heard of tarot cards. And they go, you can learn how to do it for the job. Go in, tell them you don't know how to do this, but that you'll learn and you can get hired. We'll recommend you. So I went to this place and it was called Cabrina's Psychic Answer Answer Service and one nine hundred number. And I got the job. I bought a tarot deck for like I think it was like twenty seven bucks. And I read the instructions and my first call was horrible. I was like reading the cards, you know, I was reading the instructions like as I was reading the cards and this poor person just put up with me. I'm like, you have the 19 of wands and that means flip, 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 you know. And then I read the, the definition and eventually as I memorized more of the cards, I started to just go with it. And I would get people – at first it was mostly kind of um, housewives up in the middle of the night from the Rust Belt like calling me. And uh, they would like be really encouraging. I'm you know, I'm just jabbering at them and they're like, huh, yeah, right, and as I'm talking. And then when there's a break, they'd be like, that's interesting. And eventually the algorithm changed. I started getting all these – truck all these men all these truck drivers and those are that's really hard to do it's like those guys would just be dead silent like a rock and you have to say breaker breaker after every card <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is fascinating yeah did you ever graduate to runes or no what are those i don't know didn't you say that that's something you throw i guess i, I don't know. know no the, see, here's the, the thing the bones the, say the, you need gas the I would be there trying to keep my head above water and trying to do these these sessions and uh, I'd be listening to some of the other psychics in the other booths. There are a couple of them that were really good. There was one kid who was he, – he seemed like and looked kind of like Professor X from the X-Men because he was – something was – Balled in a wheelchair? He Something was messed up with his legs. He had like braces on his, on his legs. Oh, shit. And he was – he'd sit down in a chair and I remember one time – you just listen to him and I'd be like, how is he doing this? There was one time he was like, who's the small child in the, in the, um, on the connection on the, what do you call it? The, um, extension in the living room. Like, you know, and I, I've thought about it since and maybe he heard the kid making sound or something, but he seemed to always be saying shit like that. Somebody told me once that they gave him a ride home from work and he goes, he turns to them and goes, you're going to get all green lights on the way home. And they did. They were like, zim, 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 zim. Every light like turned green like right before they hit it. <laughs> Professor X. <laughs> what does that face mean, Steven? It's just like, it's, you know, um, people like Cole reading, I'm fascinated by that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Where um, if you watch the people who are really good at it. Yeah. And who do the tricks or like, what's in your purse? And like the purse is on stage blindfolded, can tell you everything, what's going on. Like it's the equivalent of it's what the act is versus someone like Jonathan Edwards who's taking your money to go to do the same thing but pretend it's like a dead relative. 
You know what I mean? Going at, people just buy into it left and right because you're looking for any kind of answer you can fucking have to have any right. kind of connection. That's the whole point. Like I'm more fascinated with a housewife going just talking to somebody. Than, I know, right? You know? Yeah. Like that that appeals to me is like, I got to need something. I'll pay a dollar a minute just to have someone listen to me or talk to someone who's not yelling. Yeah. I remember one time talking to somebody who was basically being pushed out the door of some situation where she was like, she had a kid and she was like, I'm going to be homeless. So what should I do? And she was making a revenge one 900 call. Like her, somebody was a relative who wasn't sticking around, wasn't backing her anymore or a boyfriend or something was like, you got to get out. And she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to charge a bunch of one 900 calls to this person's phone line. And, um, Another time, another very memorable car, call. Remember, I was like 20, maybe 22, 23 when I was doing this. I got a call and this woman, basically, I kept on asking questions. I'm like, I see a young person, right? I got the page of wands. I have a young person and that's next to whatever, you know, there's a stone or a, a tower crumbling. So that could be mean, mean illness. And they're like, yeah, yeah, there's an illness. And I go, oh, and I started throwing these really, really, really long, like long, long readings, like throwing every card in the deck to try to see the future was. And just I kept on getting like kind of because I play along with the cards. Didn't matter that I'm, you know, I'm uh, I was just doing this because I needed a job. Um, I was playing along with it and to give myself content to say I was reading along with the cards. So I'm reading along and reading along and saying, oh, I see this and this and this. And the call is going on and on. And the person wanted an answer. But I ended up getting out of her that she was calling for somebody in her family who was sick. And that they were had kind of relapsed or something. I can't remember. There's a bunch of information I got from her. And... And finally, I just didn't know what to say anymore. So I go, I, the cards tell me they're going to be, they're going to recover. <laughs> and then I go, everything's going to be, and she's like, really? I go, yeah, they're going to be fine. They're going to recover. They're going to be healthy. And she's like, you are so wrong. You have no idea how wrong you are. And I was like, um, I'm sorry. And she's like, you're so wrong. You're just so wrong. And then she hung up on me. So you know, it could have been obviously the person that something is not curable. It was super chilling. So it's 20, 20 years later and I remember it clear as day. Oh, yeah. I remember that whole thing. Wow. It's bonkers. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when you left, did you have to give two weeks or they just assumed? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think they went out of business. Shocker. Well, nobody remembers Cabrina's psychic answer line. I mean, <laughs> no. No one could have predicted it. You know what? <laughs> there were two. Okay. I think my checks said Universal Nexus on them. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, when when you said earlier, sort of um, this idea that art is sort of everyone sort of stealing in one way or another. I mean, I feel like that is true, but I also feel like authenticity is such a big thing in art and sort of in music too. I mean, how do you how do you kind of come at things? I mean, is that is that like a conscious thing or do you feel like your influences kind of more seep into your work or are you like, oh, this is too much like this thing or do you embrace it? All, all the above. I yeah. mean, you know, back in the old days, like cart- a comic book artist especially would do apprenticeships. You know, they would all kind. there's all kinds of examples through history. You find that um, a, a big artist, uh, you guys were mentioning before how um, uh, who's the actor who came up through Mr. Rogers as a PA? 
Oh, Michael Keaton. M- Michael Keaton. Mm. These successful creators create a big umbrella organization and they, then they can train young artists. So you have examples in history where like the guy, Dick, um, what's his name? The guy that took over Gasoline Alley from Frank King, he was like a protege of Chester Gould did Dick Tracy. And, um, you know, you have uh, people who are people's assistants and then they learn how to draw on that artist's style, and then they branch out. And I always wanted to Here's be- what I want to delve in with you, because you say comics a lot, which I love you for. Oh, yeah, yeah. When people say graphic, graphic novel, novels. I just want to spit. Of course. Um, but you say comics, but you a lot of your work is comic strip derivative. Like, you just don't throw out Gasoline Alley. Oh, I love you know Gasoline what I mean? Alley. Sure, sure. Because Gasoline Alley ran for, what, 50 years? It's got to still be running. It's insane how long yeah. this book has been going. Uh, it changed, really? I'm going to say it goes back to the late 20s. Yeah, it's yeah. bonkers. So like, it must be coming up on the 100th anniversary. It's insane. I saw, you know, Noah Van Skyver posted a recent one a couple years ago. And yeah. it was hor- well, it was horrible, of course. And he was like, look, there's a Furby in this or something. It's like an atrocity. <laughs> there's, yeah. but he was, go ahead. I mean, well, it's not you. like Doonesbury or Funky Winkerman, where it's the same person. It's like, it's a good example, right? Like, Funky Winkerman's amazing. But it's, um, is it still called Funky Winkerman? Yeah, yeah. Furby Winkerman, I think. Furby Winkerman. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's gotten worse. Like, like the football player now has like, He's memory problems and everything because he played football in high school. Right, and it hit him all that kind of stuff. They, they but, did. A, they did a time jump forward at some point. I think so. Yeah, they totally did. Yeah, but like you, I see a lot of your stuff. You have a lot of Nancy in here, a lot of Garfield in there, a lot of Popeye. Mm-hmm. You know, and people don't realize like the sequential storylines of Popeye went for years. Like you could follow back. Like one of the fir- my first introductions to comics is my dad got me this Smithsonian book of like comic book comics. Yeah, yeah, and it had. Tons of, I didn't know who the hell Nancy was. It had Captain Marvel, the original in there, original Mad Magazine, um, Little Lulu, you know, that kind of stuff. Does it have a black cover? Yeah. I have that. I, yeah, yeah. I know that book. I remember that book as a child, like just like just devouring. We're the same age. And it was, oh, cool. um, uh, when are you 70? I'm guessing 1970. <laughs> I'm younger. So <laughs> they said I was 70. Yeah, I was born in 70. Exactly. Yeah, see? Math skills. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about like comic strips outside of Snoopy or Kathy mm-hmm. as a child. And when you go back and look at the storylines just ran, like, you know, if you look at like the Phantom, like still going, well, uh, Lee Falk, you know what I mean? Like or right. whoever is writing under that. Prince Valiant, that kind of stuff. Right. So it was it wasn't a collected edition, but people forget that's how comics started. It was comic strips put in a book, MC Gaines. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's where the fucking name comes from. Famous Funnies is the first comic, and it was Mm -hmm. a collection of reprints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whole thing. And then they're like, why don't we just put a whole bunch in there? But your work seems very, to me, a lot of, um, seems like you like daily strips. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm a student of that stuff, and I think people our age, we all... If we love comics, you did get exposed to all the same. There, the, like now, there's a million collections. You can get old classic comic collections, old reprints. You can go to the stores and get – it's like going to uh, like Tower Video. You could get reprints from comics all over history. But in the 70s and 80s, there's a handful. There's like 10 books out. There's a big Annie reprint book. Mm-hmm. There was the Collected Cases of Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. There was a Smithsonian book. There was – the Great Comic Book Heroes by Pfeiffer. Um, there was, no. oh, these are all, so I'd see these again and again. And my dad worked at a library at the Ohio State University. And when I'd visit him at work, I would go to the their little puny comic section and I would, he Buck Rogers too. I would yeah. get the Buck Rogers collection. And he'd let me take it home sometimes. 
And I must have read those books over and over again. So those were as much of a part of, yeah, of my understanding of comics as anything. Because your work seems to be, from what I've gleaned here, since you kindly brought a stack, mm-hmm. um, you kind of take those styles and put them in and add a little, um, what's the word, tawdrier element? Would that, uh-huh, be, sure. would that be a good term? Especially a suspect device, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of cocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. And I mean, I mean, I loved Popeye back in. Like, I remember just being, just loving reading anything about Sea Hag, you know? Like, it just, that always just kind of creeped me out, and I, like, liked it. But, you oh. know, when I see a picture of um, uh, somebody with a cock, but it's Odie's head from Garfield, like, I'm in. I'm sold. I'm down yeah. with your work. Yeah, that's, um, that was a collection I did. Um, I teach comics, too. That's how I basically make a living now. And I uh, I teach kids, and I teach adults. I work at the Parsons. I work at the 92nd Street Y. I work at a, town, a place called Uptown Stories. Um, it's really cool. I do a lot of private lessons. And I came up with one of my homework assignments was something I stumbled upon where I asked people to – I'd hand people two unrelated comic frames, and I'd be like, this kicks it off and this ends it. Or more likely, I'd give them 20 frames. I'd say pick two and make a narrative where you cut these out and you paste them into a new narrative. So in the first frame, you have, you know, Annie, Nancy's walking in like, look, I, I found this goldfish. And the last frame is, you know, um, um, Popeye is like slamming Bluto's head against the wall. So what, you know, if I hand that to you, what story do you make up that somehow connects them? You know, somebody's like, oh, well, your goldfish needs a miracle grow, and they put it on the miracle, the fish, and the fish grows into Bluto. And then Popeye, they're like, I have this Popeye robot in the closet just for this emergency, and he comes out and punches Bluto, and you have a comic. So it gives people a chance to draw, and I'd give this to my students, and it's, you know, it's a little bit like an improv, and it would, meanwhile, I would show them how to do how to do perspectives in the rooms and how to make the shadows look like they're going underneath characters' feet and why they pattern like the people's outfits in a certain way and why how they do the hair and all and they've learned a ton about doing comics. So it that way that came off really well and then I got into the idea of doing it as a collection. So I started inviting all my cartoonist friends and all those all the work in those books, except for the covers, which I paid for, was done for free. People were like, Yeah, I'd, I'd love an opportunity to do something cool. I don't care about the money. So those are like collections where at that time I would take nine months and I'd mail people packets of comic frames and say, Do what you will and send this to me when you're done. And I'd end up with this beautiful collection of of art that's all and that's suspect device. I think uh, I picked the name. I mean, I picked the name after the song, but also because it's a device, like a device that you're using to generate comics. And suspect because it goes back to the question of appropriation. Appropriation sure. is there's something a little bit um, questionable about it, you know. So all my stuff is kind. In the past, I've always, we were talking about like why how to use appropriation. Back in the day, you have an apprenticeship, and that's how you learn. When you start drawing your own Popeye strip, you're forming, you're doing an apprenticeship in a way. And you start to learn how E.C. Seeger or who any of his, any of the people who came after him did what they did and why they did it. So uh, then I started to also do just full on copies of people's comics, but in my own style. 
So uh, I would take like that comic there. You have Rom. That's actually my version of an early Rom comic. The brown, yeah, the brown cover. And Rom just came back. Yeah, I don't think it did so well. Stupid, fucking fingers on Rom. They gave him fingers. But the the coolest thing that came out of that, I've is got that, him. God damn it, I've got the old ROM issues. I even have the one where the, they they did a misprint on the annual, where it's like one had red and one was orange, and still no one cares. <laughs> but I have them. Well, they they had the coolest thing that came out of ROM is they got Al Milgram, who was did so many covers for ROM, and it might have even been an editor for ROM. He uh, they got him to do a cover, and it's really nice. And he did a homage to a Jack Kirby cover that he had inked back in the 70s where the iron i'm sorry or iron man a jack kirby iron man cover where iron man is floating through space and there's this vast solar system behind him and it's like one of the iconic kirby covers and uh milgram inked it and milgram is on my new series all-time comics which um i got but that's the whole the line that i have coming out next involves a mashup of younger cartoonists and artists like uh, ben Mara, no, no, who did One Man War on Terror from Fanagraphics, Noah Van Skyver, who's like like one of the only newbie cartoonists who gets fan letters from R. Crumb. And I also got Herb Trimpey who, oh, wow. to do his last comic, and that's coming out next month. Holy crap. And, and I got Al Milgram, who was willing to work with us. And um, they, I got all these people together, and I wrote the comics, and I have a superhero line. It's coming out from Fantagraphics. What's the superhero? It's called. Well, it's four superheroes. It's uh, all time comics, mm-hmm. which is like a, and it's got four characters. One is called Crime Destroyer, who's like a a uh, Vietnam vet comes back and finds his family slaughtered and declares war on crime. That old chestnut. That old chestnut, and then we have um, Bullwhip. Who's like a woman with like a cat suit and whip, and she like has a vil- has a bunch of crazy discuss- you know villains mm-hmm. like the misogynist and time vampire, and where we had them all, all the comics are hand lettered. They're all uh, wow. there's no we tried to I mean they're computer colored, but we didn't go for like flare lenses and all these newbie effects that people have where they're doing like volumetric coloring of flat colors. We got a paper which is close to newsprint as you can have. And um, it's kind of it's the first superhero line technically that Fantagraphics has done. Though you could basically say that Death Ray by Daniel Klaus was a, was a superhero. I just um, read that like two weeks ago. So good, it's so good, man. He really just lets your brain fill in a lot. He's know? so he's such an artist. It's such a great comic. Yeah. You read Death Ray? No, I yeah. Really I mean, this is your whole. This is if. Um, it's it's like if Todd Salons did comics. Really? Totally. Like, yeah. Sounds very depressing. Uh, dude, it is, but yeah. it's good. Yeah. yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, he's great. Okay, yeah. I'll check yeah. it out. I never spun off into, like, the alt world. I stayed specifically tights and everything, and then, like, stories for me just, they, like, I think it was probably the other Cleveland fan. Oh, I got Bendis was probably the one. That, like, I love I'd Bendis. Spend. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything he's done. I think he really, like, I hear a lot of people, I guess it's, I don't know if it's because he's successful or because he's doing a lot of bad work at this point, but I just see people taking shots at him. Is that the dude I did that TED Talk with? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did a TED Talk in Cleveland about three or four years ago, and he was, like, the main speaker. Hmm. Yeah. How was he? I thought it was good. It was, like, it was about, like, the history of comics, so it was, like, a very academic so you probably actually would have been really into it. I felt like it was like a little bit hard for me to follow along, huh. um, but it, it was interesting. 
His he, early shit, like when his style of taking pictures and inking them afterwards was, yeah. I really dug that. Yeah, and, yeah. And I, and it was one of the one of the he was one of the last people I bought off the rack because I was like, that looks cool. I don't know what the hell that is, and it was the Goldfish series. Cool, yeah. And I was like, this is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I'm cut, a- cutouts for off of uh, it was Caliber Press put it out. Have you ever heard of this? Do you ever hear this website, iFanboy? Not really. Yeah, our friend Ron did that, and he kind of introduced us to that. But he worked at he worked at a comic company. He looked he, at he worked at Image. He worked he at was Image. A financial okay. guy. At Image but he for had a this while. big comic kind of fan site. I think. I don't know a lot. This is Kirkman, more Stevens. who does Walking Dead and Invincible and all that stuff from Image. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple times, and he is on the same boat of anyone who says graphic novels is a fucker. He's this, he's that guy too. He's like fuck that. It's a comic. Shut up. Yeah, and I was it, like, can I hug you? It, I it actually did. It, it sucks because it, you know the term is like a little bit suspect. It's people can call what they want. It does create some weird conversations, including people who kind of mansplain what comic, what a graphic novel is to you. I do. you ask them if you like comics, and I'm like, well, I like graphic novels, um, <laughs> but it, it's. Caused- I also hate you right now, and you're paying for lunch. That's <laughs> what I would say. It's caused me problems before because, like, at my school. One of the schools I work for, I insisted that my courses be called comic book courses. So what happens is the other teacher will be like, oh, I want to pitch a class, graphic novels for adults. And I'm like, but now I'm going to get all of the people who think that comic books are like all the people who I want to attract, the, that audience who are doing stuff which you know is literary or is about important issues now they're going to go to the other guy's class so now i'm forced to use the term or else i'm only going to get people who want to see shit blow up and that's the only type of student i'm going to get and mainstream superhero fans are not all of them some of them are wonderful i would say there's a 50 50 ratio where they are the most closed-minded students i could i've ever possibly had i would yeah it, it, it's weird because you it's you would think it'd be more liberal than it is. And you talk to some of the folks and they're very, it's, it's like I got in this big argument with um, a very young person who was just so against Michael B. Jordan playing Johnny Storm. Oh. And I went, but why? He's like, well, it goes against. And I went, it goes against the guy who made him a white guy. Wait, who gives a shit? It's not real. Right. It's not real. I've had the same argument with, with um, Doctor Who fans who are like, well, it can't be a woman. I'm like, why the fuck not? It's not real. Shut up. Right. You know? They're like, well, it fits the narrative. What narrative? It sounds like such a boring conversation. It's, it, and, and, I, and, and, then, and I just like, I can't. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I used, I used to work at a comic book store. And oh, I'm God, a, I, I love you. comics. I'm like one of those people who, you know, was, I, I borrowed Swamp Thing number 50 from a kid in my English class and fucking read it and I couldn't believe how good it was. And those people would come to the store, had the same experiences, and they would start talking about comics. And they were just, they were into all of the... Uh, they weren't. They weren't into talking about it in the same way that I was. Um, it's just weird. I remember in high school, some guy going, "Yeah, pretty sure Conan, Conan the Barbarian, is stronger than the Thing." And I went, "Yeah, I don't even know what to say to you." <laughs> what the Cause, fuck? Because this person is two different things, and also you're <laughs> fuck off. 
I didn't like you anyway. Wow. That's a dumb comment. That's exactly what you said. I was like, this is a stupid thing to talk about. Right, right. I guess I, I never thought about that because I feel like I have a lot of nerdy conversations about music, but I guess the bands really exist. They're real. Right. Yeah, so it's like... When people start talking about characters as if they're real, like, I'll have a conversation about <laughs> writers and styles. Yeah. I like writers... Uh, no offense, but I like writers more than artists. That's where I go for. <laughs> and um, if the art is awesome bonus like if i dig that cool if it's not if the story's good even better that's you know exactly what I mean? it. i've never had a dumb conversation about a writer where somebody's like written like five books and that person are both both share that you know you don't talk about steinbeck or jd salinger and be like i remember when holden caulfield got punched out that the bartender that pimp was a badass that's not a conversation I want to have. But with comic books, it often is. Mm-hmm. Then you meet some people who are like, oh, you know, they'll talk about the way that Jack Kirby was ripped off or human stuff that's on a human scale that's about, you know, tragedies that happened around the scene. That shit I could talk about all mm-hmm. day. Then you just meet other people. It's just, um, yeah, it's just shitty. Yeah, I'll talk about creator rights and ownership all the time. And the fact that Marvel, who I still read, Toe that line immediately, like, yeah, no, we own it. Right. And we don't, and we won't change that. Sorry. Right. And, and, and I think that's, that's fascinating. Whereas DC is like, yeah, we give you a bit. It's like, whoa, fuck me. Right, right. Make your movies better. <laughs> I think it's interesting now that my, had, had I been able to talk to my teenage self and told him that you will still jerk off as much. Um, <laughs> but also that, Every TV show you watch will be a TV show you wish existed. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm watching Legion right now, which was this oh, minor character that I really dug. Right. And not as a like, I'm um, cool. I like Legion. It was a fascinating and it was a character that actually scared me as right. a kid because it was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but the I'm character not. is like, it's like Professor X's son, but he doesn't know it. And he's the most pop- powerful mutant because he's a schizophrenic, but every personality has a different power. That oh. exists, and I remember reading the character, and I think it was uh, Sinkevich who drew it. Yeah, it's a big hair, yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And it was great, yeah. you know. But like, that's a TV show, and then every other dumb TV show I watch is like, someone's got a cape. There's like the fact that Supergirl has the Martian Manhunter, who I've loved my whole life, uh, is on it. It's yeah. like, what does he look like? Um, it's kind of the the later New Fifty Two kind of version, but the character is um, the human version is is black. Okay. Which oh, I cool. like because it adds this whole new level of like the Martian mythos of the genocide and all that because you couldn't tell that story back then. So now you make it this. So it kind of adds a whole layer. But it's fascinating that now everything is comics. And most people don't even realize it. Like when I went to see Snowpiercer, I didn't realize that was a comic. Who? What was it based on? It was a French comic. Oh. No, and that, that didn't even get released here in the 80s because kind of creepy, you know, which odd for the States not to have something. Probably because it was French. <laughs> yeah, when I went to Tokyo for the first time, I went to a comic store and I was like, what's like the weirdest, most fucked up comic you have? And they were like, this one. And I bought it for you. Yes, you did. Yeah. You wanted something. <laughs> oh, was it really? Was yeah. it really fucked up? Yeah, it was fucked It was hentai, basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? They're like, well, what level of hentai do you <laughs> yeah. want? Like how much? We can't show cocks, so we show tentacles here. <laughs> That's way worse than Cox. It's way right, worse. It's right, right. way worse. Way fucking worse. Um, yeah, creepy, creepy. So creepy. when does a, the Fantagraphics thing come out? Uh, like um, end of March. End of March. I'm, okay. going, I'm going to LA on um, the eight, March 8th to do like an opening for it at Meltdown Comics. Oh, great. 
Um, and the first issue that comes out is Crime Destroyer 1. And then Bullwhip comes out in April. And then At West comes out in May. And then the last three issues, I have this character called Blind Justice, who's kind of a, a character who uh, believes that he's vulnerable but might be really delusional. But he seems to unnerve people so much because they'll be shooting at him and a walk just right towards them. And the bullets will like after the battle, you'll realize that he's actually shot and he just doesn't register it. He just believe- if he shot in the arm, he's like, see, that should have been should have been in my heart. I can't die. So he is uh, in his in his secret identity. He like sits in this trauma ward for people who are, have brain injuries and he just plays it to the hilt as if he's catatonic and then when there's crime to fight and he's a little guy and when there's crime to fight, he just puts on this handmade armor that's made out of duct tape and cardboard, like a prison armor and a big suit and bandages. So he's like this creepy, uh, character. who's a little bit, who's kind of got a fragmented kind of mentality. And we, so we got that issue. I did half the art on that and, uh, I wrote or co-wrote all of them with Ben Mara and like I said, we got like old timey guys. Um, Herb, Herb Trimpey was basically retired when we got him to do a whole issue. And um, the the and working with Al Milgram has been really cool. He's been, I mean, I, I draw and this is the first time I've really tried to do straight superhero art and have it be, you know, have that look. And uh, he really helped me. It's like, I've always tried to go for having a lot of depth in my comics. And my editor, Jason, Jason T. Miles, who's like my co-editor on the project, he's like, uh, Milgram is really pushing the sense of depth that you've been trying to get. And so I've been really studying what worked well on those pages because he has, there's like three layer, three or four layers of depth, like extreme foreground, midground, background, and very deep background. And so I've been, uh, I've, again, it's the idea of an apprenticeship. Yeah. Working with somebody, Milgram is 70, I think, working with somebody who has all of his experience and brings that to the comic, it's, it's really, um, it's been really cool for me. It's been very satisfying creatively. And the whole thing is like much bigger than anything I've done before. This is all amazing. Mm. Awesome. And cool. I'll start with Joan. I want to talk about integrity. Yeah. I'll start with integrity. Thank you so yeah. much. Humanity yeah. is the devil. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. No doubt. All right. Thank you to Josh Bayer for coming by. If you want to check out what he's up to, you can visit him online at joshbayer.com. Take a class with him. If you're in New York, take a class with him. Take a comic book writing class drawing class hell yeah figure drawing portrait drawing he does a lot of cool classes i i actually maybe i'll take one of these classes take a class he also does private lessons and tutoring education is key education is fundamental it is it is fun and mental it is fundamental and uh steven thanks you know for for manning the the pro tools for me yes pulse music steven garwalski pulse music thanks for manning manning things thanks for letting us record Thanks to Josh Bayer for coming by. If you want to support this podcast, you can um, go to Venmo, Venmo to at off track. It will show up as Brad Worrell. Um, and we're assuming Brad isn't pocketing all the money and or spending it on scratch off tickets. <laughs> Although, hey man, we can make more. <laughs> this is just we've heard, I've been we've been through this before, Brad. Uh, but yeah, you can donate there. You can donate on our site. You can also, um, if you're strapped for cash, that's cool. Uh, you can just leave us a nice review on iTunes, tweet at us, 
promote the podcast organically. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. We'll be back uh, next week with another very cool podcast. Um, oh, yeah, this is a really good one. The Twins. The Twins. <laughs> it may involve uh, a member of the Flaming Lips. Woo! And it may involve the host of a children's TV show. That's so, interesting. I'm going to leave that as a huge cliffhanger. But yeah, tune in next week. Thanks to Josh for coming by. Thanks to Pulse Music. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.